The Football Pod on OTB Sports. Do you still listen to the Football Pod or is that like texting your ex? Absolutely. As I often said, I'm jealous that day. Uh, I don't know who's so good, the little whore. <laughs> the Football Pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. Meaningful Metrics on Off The Ball. In partnership with Whoop, a personalised digital fitness and health coach that helps you unlock your inner potential. See whoop.com for more. It is time for Meaningful Metrics on Off The Ball. This is in partnership with Whoop, the personalized digital fitness and health coach that helps you unlock your inner potential. You can check out whoop.com for more. Uh, every Thursday night, we bring you the metrics that matter about a big sporting occasion. And we are on the eve of Wimbledon, but it will be a Wimbledon unlike any other because Roger Federer, like myself, having recently turned 40, has decided I'm going to put the feet up. I'm going to relax early retirement and god how jealous i am of him in so many ways uh king of the roger federer fan club is colin buhig good evening colin good evening nathan i never realized the synergy between yourself and the great man 40. there's so many synergies so many synergies yeah really when you think about roger it. federer yeah you like roger federer wimbledon great it's just not on paper so we'll just discuss federer but we know your greatness roger you, federer you know that i'm there as well the most successful wimbledon player with eight uh, Wimbledon titles and like you were saying there Nathan at the top it's going to be a Wimbledon like no other because we're without Roger Federer for the first time since 1998 at Wimbledon uh, almost certainly without Roger unless there's a dramatic U-turn over the weekend and we could scrap all this but it's very unlikely that's going to happen uh, it would be brilliant if it does he got to the quarter final last year having not played for a long time before that so it was a real throwback but Federer made his debut at uh, Wimbledon his senior debut in the men's draw in 1999 the year previous he won the juniors at Wimbledon 1998 in 99 and 2000 he got eliminated at the first round and back then we had a very different Federer the Federer that we all know is serene classy consummate professional calm oozes confidence but the one back then was hot-headed at the end of the 20th century, had all the talent in the world, but could not keep his temper. And if you go down a, a YouTube uh, rabbit hole there, you could, you'll see uh, loads of examples of this, of Federer losing his patience, um, giving out to the umpire, giving out to himself, turned it all around. And the real breakthrough moment for him at Wimbledon was the first landmark achievement um, that he acclaimed was in 2001. He beat the great Pete Sampras uh, to knock him out. And Sampras, uh, like Federer would become, Sampras was the king of Wimbledon in the 1990s. He won uh, several Wimbledons in a row. He is seven overall. And from 1997 to 2000, he won every single Wimbledon, which is an incredible achievement up until Roger Federer steps up. So we have an omen here in 2001 when Federer beats Sampras. It's, uh, it's an absolutely amazing moment. It's one of the outside cards, actually. Incredible, uh, incredible moment in history because it's really the end of Sampras. It's the beginning of Federer. The next round, though, uh, Federer loses to Tim Henman. Uh, believe it or not that was when uh, we had the great Tim Henman that was really in his pomp when Henman actually was a very brilliant player but only ever got to the semi-final of Grand Slams that year Goran even Eastwich won Wimbledon but that was a little sample of what Federer had to offer amazingly 2002 Federer back to his old habit at Wimbledon got eliminated in the first round at the hands of Mario Ancic the Croat talented player but not a great player lost in straight sets so that was really surprising after his run in 2001 but then 2003 Nathan it all starts his very first Wimbledon title, his very first of 20 Grand Slam championships, he beats Australia's very own Mark Philippoussis. And then, Nathan, a dynasty is born. So the changing of the guard for, from Sampras 
to Federer was it wasn't an instant thing, but 2001 was a huge moment in yeah. that. It, the the calmness that we associate with Federer. Uh, when you do go down your YouTube wormholes, what, what was it? Was it just a natural maturing that he brought to his game or were there key figures that sort of changed his mindset that he's not a, uh, he was never Nick Kyrgios, was he? Absolutely not. No, but he did have his moments. I mean, he it wasn't like the odds drop. It really was part of his game. He would blow up. It was mostly self-destructive and at himself, it, it wasn't necessarily offensive towards others that often. It was really towards himself, but it wasn't really nice to watch because he, he would just lose the rag so often. And you were asking there, you know, what was it? I think he realised himself, I'm going nowhere with this. I have talent, but this uh, mentality is costing me. And his parents had worded him too. And he said, you can't, you can't behave like this anymore. A few coaches put his arm around him and said, look, again, you have the talent, but this is going to hold you back. So over time, he just changed his mentality. He calmed down, he took a breath. And then he realised, wow, uh, not blowing the gasket there actually helped with that game. I won that game and then I won that set. So it really, it wasn't an overnight um, total change of mentality. This happened over a number of years and that's why in the late 90s and very early 2000s, that's why he had inconsistent results because it was the mentality he was trying to fix. The talent was unquestionable and from very, very early days, if you were following tennis at that time, you would have heard of Federer. So it wasn't like a shock. It wasn't like Emma Raducanu coming out of nowhere, for example, at last year's Wimbledon and having a great run. When Federer beat Sampras, it wasn't, who's this? It was like, oh yeah, that's that young, great player. But by 2003, he had overcome those demons on court, the mentality that kept him back. And then he just let his tennis do the talking. And from there, it wasn't just, um, oh, this is a really exciting talent in sport who's going to get the casual viewer interested this this guy became an empire this guy became known by first name terms this guy became known to people who had no interest in sport let alone tennis and that's because of the dominance Nathan from 2003 right up until the very famous 2008 final so Better talk to us about the metrics then because uh, 2003 through to 2007 as you say yeah. he becomes the dominant figure in sport not just tennis, but, you know, is one of the dominant figures alongside Tiger Woods in world sports during that period in time. Uh, just how good was he at Wimbledon? Oh, well, Wimbledon was, yeah, I mean, I, I was going to give you the overall metrics from that time, but yeah, Wimbledon specifically, so he beats Philip Bustos in 2003, that's straight sets. Um, that's a... Three times in the eight that he won with straight sets. That was the first one. Then in 2004, 2005, he beats Andy Roddick, who at that point in time is, is his greatest rival. So in 04, he beats him in four sets. He actually loses the first set against Roddick in that final in 2004. And he wins the next two very tightly, 7-5, and then wins it in a tiebreak in a third set, 7-3. Wins the fourth set, 6-4. And that's really Roddick at his peak. The following year, they meet again in the final, Federer. That is the second time he wins it in straight sets. So 2005 is Federer's peak. There is nobody to touch him. He gets frustrating at this point. He goes from uh, this great hope of tennis to nobody can touch this guy. 2005, we see it. Straight sets victory over Roddick. 6-2, 7-6, 6-4. Reads quite comfortably. Then come 2006, Nathan. New kid on the block. And that kid is... Rafael Nadal. Nadal. Nadal, who by that stage has won two French Opens back-to-back. 05 and 06 but the whole uh, commentary on the scene at the time is Nadal can't play on grass this guy cannot do grass well he overcame that problem and he reached the final of Wimbledon in 2006 uh, lost the first set 6 love did Nadal 
Federer wiped the floor with him and at that stage it got a bit awkward around centre court and around the world as people were watching there was a bit of tugging on the collars being like oh god this could be a whitewash but again Federer loved the tie break Nathan in the noughties at Wimbledon finals another tie break which he overcame 7-5 then he lost the third set tie break to Nadal 6-7 but won the fourth set 6-3 following year they meet again 2007 precursor to the great final of 2008 at this point Nadal has improved in 12 months that final in 2007 goes all the way to five sets all the way to a decider Federer's first ever fifth set uh, Wimbledon final again tie break Federer takes it in the first Nadal takes it in the second where one set all Federer just sneaks it in the third in a tie break Nadal easily wins the fourth set and come the final set, Federer is just too good at that point, 6-2. But Nathan, that's where the bookmark is because Fe- Nadal saw enough at that moment to realise, I think I have this guy. And we all know what happened next year. So 2008, the greatest Grand Slam final of all time, Federer mm. against Nadal. I want to ask you about its legacy and its role in the conversations we're still having today around greatness and the greatest of all time. So... Being the most successful and being the greatest are two different things because Nadal is the most successful with 22, Federer has 20, and Djokovic has 20, but I don't think anyone's going to put Djokovic in the greatness category because of everything that goes on outside of the course. If Federer beats Nadal in 2008, is there any debate as to who's the greatest of all time? I mean, that that is such a big question because there's nothing stopping Federer... Um, or sorry Nadal responding in 2009 to win because the course of history has changed because Federer's won another Wimbledon in 2008 answer the question Colin maybe he loses the motivation in 2009 Nathan you know I can't answer that definitively especially at so this moment in time Nadal is too ahead the defeat in 2008 to Nadal is what sparked Federer to come back and win it again in 2009 I I I think he could have won it anyway in 2009, but we'll say we'll say yes for argument's sake. Get off the fence for the sake of this. Yes, we will say yes. I that um, but you make a good point, uh, and a lot of people do think that. Well, that, sorry, that sorry. I, I suppose change. the reverse of that is if Nadal doesn't win that, like a key part of yeah, Nadal's totally. greatness and the comparison is that when they were both at their absolute peak in the greatest of all time, it was Nadal who came out on top at Wimbledon. Yeah, and Wimbledon. And look, Federer's only French Open title came the following year in 2009 and he didn't beat Nadal to win that. He beat Nadal's conqueror, Robin Soderling, in the final. It was, Nadal, it was Federer's only uh, French Open. I don't know. I'm not sure. I think that 2008 final lives on its own island of this great match and it did not change my opinion of either Nadal or Federer's legacy. That was just an amazing, an amazing match. I don't think it really changes Federer's legacy. Numbers-wise, yes, of course. But in terms of reputation, not so much. Bear in mind, Nathan, the previous two years, Federer beat Nadal in those finals. So he is two out of three for finals against Nadal at Wimbledon. And, and then he shares the greatest match ever with him. And it's not so much that people look at that as Nadal's greatest moment. It's both of those players' greatest moment. And Nadal happened to win. That would be the way I'd see it. I'm not giving you the answer you want here because I can't give you a definitive uh, statement that that changed everything. I don't think it did. I just think it was the highlight of the rivalry among those three players, let alone those two players, when you bring Djokovic into the equation. So he wins eight Wimbledon titles. Uh, Could have been more. Lost four. The Mm -hmm. best chance was actually probably the last one, 2019, Djokovic, where... He had championship points to win it. Two championship points in a row in 2019 against Novak Djokovic. 
at that point Federer was flying it because he had won at the Australian Open not too uh, long previously 2018 um, two championship points in a row and the crowd were on his side Djokovic had almost been resigned to the fact that he's going to lose this match and lo and behold Djokovic doesn't just uh, hold off those championship points he wins the entire match and the stadium's in shock and really Federer has never recovered since he's never never come close to winning another uh, after that and Djokovic went the other direction completely drove on and to the point where this time last year when Djokovic won Wimbledon it was it was a case of an inevitability so if you were you were to hear this year Nate in 2022 well one of those three is on 22 and the others are on 20 everybody would have said Djokovic look how much has changed in a year meanwhile Federer the only thing he's had to be able to think about for three years there Nathan is that final that is it losing those two championship points and yeah, and, and for me, that's the moment that changed everything, not so much 2008. That would have been the crowning right. moment, going to 21 titles. I think if he had won that match, could have very easily walked away from the sport knowing, well, I've done all I can now because that would have been an incredible achievement. You talk about beating the Danilis pump. That was Djokovic in his pump, 2019. That's how close Federer came to beating Djokovic. He's five years Djokovic's senior. Wasn't playing that much at the time. That's how close he came. That's the greatness of the man. And look, the big debate is who's the greatest. There are arguments for all three. You could say all three, no problem. What for me is undoubted is that Federer is the most naturally gifted. So this is all about the meaningful metrics. I do on a Thursday night also like the metrics that really don't matter. And I am desperate for your opinion on this column. Of all the outfits that Roger Federer has worn at Wimbledon finals, which is the one that stands out? Like I'm thinking of the cardigan, thinking yeah. of the blazer. I think the blazer was outrageous. I mean, outrageous. Like you have to be a, a pretty successful guy to come out with a blazer. The thing with Wimbledon is you're kind of confined into what you can wear and what you can show off. I mean, it's different shades White. of the same color. You know what I mean? So that's kind of it. But the blazer was like, wow, are you playing tennis? Or are we going out? Because that guy was ready for both. That guy was a meme before it happened. You know, that guy was when you have tennis at five and you have drinks at eight. And that's what he was able to do. <laughs> that's your life right there, isn't it? That's your Friday night. I hope. I wish. Yeah, but look, the um, the numbers guy, because it is actually something you overlook. And these uh, metrics really are meaningful, Nathan, when you actually look at Federer's career as a whole. He, um, I mean, to like, in, <laughs> in 2005, right? I have to read you this stats. 2005, Federer won 11 uh, of 15 tournaments, including women and the US Open from July 2003 to November 2005, he reached 24 straight finals. That's insane. It's absolutely insane. Between July 2003 and January 2010, Federer won 16 of the 27 Grand Slams he was in and only exited a major tournament twice before the semi-final stage. There was dominance and there was Federer. And you could, you could argue that by the look, the 2010s, he definitely slowed down the 2010s. There's no question about that. You look at those stats, Nathan, it's 2003 to 2007 inclusive, then comes back in 2009, which, by the way, underrated final, very underrated final. Uh, Andy Roddick again, third time unlucky once again for Roddick. I was actually living in America at the time. I remember watching this. Federer won the final set 16-14. Gone are those days, of course, because the tie breaks now in the final set. But back then, you had to keep him playing until the bitter, bitter end. And that was the bitter end for Roddick at Wimbledon. 16-14, uh, Federer won that final in 2009. Look it up, folks. Look that match up in the highlights reel because 2008... Gets all the praise, and rightly so, of course. But 2009 is amazing. In 2010, Thomas Burdick knocks out Federer. That's a big, big shock. And then Burdick loses to Nadal in the final. And that's Nadal's last Wimbledon, 2010, 12 years ago. 
So after wow. that, Nathan, you're talking twice more. 2012, he breaks Andy Murray and centre court's heart. Murray's flooded tears afterwards when he wins there. And 2017 is his last Wimbledon against Marin Cilic. His easiest Wimbledon victory, 6-3, 6-1, What a man. What a man. One of the greats, Cullum, like yourself. Oh. Get that blazer on, Cullum. Tennis and drinks. It's happening. Cannot wait. Colin Buhig, thank you. Uh, Roger Federer, the focal point of this week's Meaningful Metrics on OTB Sport in partnership with Whoop, the personalized digital fitness and health coach that helps you unlock your inner potential. See whoop.com for more. Meaningful Metrics on Off the Ball. In partnership with Whoop, the personalized digital fitness and health coach that helps you unlock your inner potential. See whoop.com for more.